Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Awesome. So we have Martel Mattelis here of SoCo, but you're going to learn everything about that directly from Martel. But before we get into that, we like to get a little bit more background on, you know, our guests and when they were growing up, you know, their childhood. So tell us how you grew up and also if younger you would be friends with today you. Man, that's a crazy opening question. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, projects of Brooklyn, New York. If anybody knows Canarsie, literally like right next to Pop Smoke. Also Troy Avenue. So I grew up in Crown Heights too. So I was kind of bouncing between grandparents. Uh, parents were working full time, over full time, second generation, Haitian American. Ended up moving to Arizona when I was 10. A lot of crazy things happen. Just seeing the difference, like, like context. I know a lot of people if they're if they've been in this position, they know. But like, when you grow up in those certain areas, you kind of make your bed in hell, if, if that makes sense. Like, you enjoy being in that area because you don't know beyond it. So you think like you're there, you're good. I didn't realize the state of which I was living in until I moved to Arizona in the suburbs. And that's what, because my uncle, he was doing well for himself and he moved out there. He told my mom, look, bring him out there. He'll do a lot better. And so it kind of like triggered this thing in me, like, all right, you got to figure some things out so that you don't ever have to go back to where you were. That's what got me into athletics when I was in junior high, high school, played basketball. I thought that was going to be my ticket to being wealthy and helping out family and being that one person that made it. Ended up getting into Babson College, top business school, started learning a lot about entrepreneurship through them. Started making a lot of different friends. Some friends were going on Shark Tank. Some friends were raising money. All while I'm like a freshman, sophomore in college. Stopped playing basketball. Decided to just focus on education. I think a big pivotal moment was basically going to uh, San Francisco, living there for like six months. And I learned about tech just like out there. And I was a personal trainer too. So I was training a lot of the people who were running these companies. So I was hearing a lot of different things. That's kind of the childhood, I guess, in a nutshell. Sounds like you stay consistent and authentic uh, kind of throughout your journey. Speaking of your journey, and we are talking about tech and innovation. What is one of your earliest experiences with innovation and with technology? Like if you were going to point back, what was that first encounter that you had? You know, it's crazy. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question. You asked me questions I didn't even think about. I was never categorized as a nerd when I was young, but I was, right? Like behind the scenes, like my first encounter, believe it or not, was a computer game that I played. It was, a, they call it MMORPG. And that's what got me into like typing fast. And then I had to learn how to download packages and figure out like different things about the computer. And I was always like computer savvy to a certain extent, but I literally learned so much about tech through like gaming when I was young on my, my desktop. So, yeah, it's crazy. It's always a good start in gaming and gamifying and fun because technology should, you know, add a certain degree of fun to your life, you know, many could say. But now, why don't you just introduce us to the present time? Like, you're at SoCo now, you founded it. It maybe had some changes along the way, but what is SoCo? And from where did this idea originate? So in a nutshell, SoCo is a social talent marketplace, what we're coining as the Uber for recruiting. 
basically what we do is democratize the process of recruiting to where anybody can get paid to utilize their network to bring in top talent. So companies are able to post what we call job bounties. And so they're paid, there's a price tag on them. And our users, who we call our bounty hunters, are able to participate and basically find somebody, whether it's in their social network or their personal network, that fits the bill. And if that person gets hired, they get paid. So that's pretty much the business model behind it. On our end, we take a cut in terms of the total bounty amount. Um, so we add like a transaction fee to it. Yeah, that's essentially how, how the marketplace works. Got it. Thank you for that that opener. So if you're listening to this right now, you may have a job, you may not have a job, but chances are that you know somebody who's hired. Like it's a popular thing right now. Jobs seem to be falling out of the sky, even if people to fill them may not be showing up for them. So what is something that you're going to get at SoCo that you can't get out there? Like, why do we need SoCo? Like, if we were just going to go out and try to find something, what are we not going to see unless we come to SoCo? The biggest thing is the dollar amounts, right? Like, you don't you don't see this stuff advertised. Recruiters on the side, they'll be like, hey, I'll pay you $500 if you can find talent. You as a person, you don't know how much they're getting paid on the back end for the person you bring in. That recruiter probably made like twenty, thirty thousand 30000 off of that placement, and you you probably made 500. Some people don't make anything, right? So a lot of people don't even know these types of transactions exist. And they don't know that they have the network to be able to facilitate that as well. So with SoCo, you're able to like go in and actually like participate in this new, and what I'm coining as an emerging talent economy, where anybody can make money and participate in something that, you know, has basically never changed for the last few decades. Also, you're, you're getting some of like the most exciting startups in different areas you're able to actually get your friends hired, right? Like, and there's a formal process. And another thing I wanted to mention, we have a bias-free functionality where right now our biggest goal that I never talk about is that we're trying to completely remove the resume and we're trying to shorten the recruiting cycle to like a week, two weeks. Pete, that you're going to have to walk us through that again. You say you're going to abolish what now? The resume. We don't want the resume anymore. The resume is old school. It's worthless. You know, there's a lot of inherent biases in there. Doesn't really highlight you as a person. Doesn't highlight everything you've done beyond corporate. So our process, literally, we're working towards completely removing that out of the picture. So you've made substantial progress, right? Like we met a little while ago and just seen catching up. You are a visionary who is inspired to action. So what is some evidence of traction that you've seen so far that lets you know you're on the right track? Pre-product, right? I just, and, and I follow people like Jack Dorsey. Like, these people are like the smartest people on the planet. And they say certain things that trigger certain, like, thoughts and certain observations in your head. And one thing I remember him saying or tweeting or something like that, he was like, the whole goal is to productize consumer behavior that people know that they're doing inherently, but they don't actually, there's nothing like making that process like final, right? Or like official. I got to a point where I was basically gonna give up and I was like, I don't see this original idea really working out. Like, and then something popped up to where I saw that thing from Jack Dorsey. And then following that, I saw a bunch of tweets from a bunch of founders that I'm friends with. And they were all saying like, hey, I'm trying to hire an iOS engineer. I'm willing to pay like five grand to anybody. Like they weren't even saying a recruiter, anybody. One of my friends, he was hiring too. He did the same thing on Instagram stories. And I saw that and I was like, wait, like, is there not a platform that they can just facilitate this on? Like 
there's so many people who probably never saw the post that they had because they probably don't have that type of reach. That triggered the thought of building something like this and validated that stuff like this already exists. Like referrals, and, and a lot of people probably don't know this listening, but 70% of all hires are, are referral-based. My first corporate job that I had was in business development inside sales. I got in literally through referrals, through like word of mouth. Somebody that was really close with the hiring manager, he knew me. And he was like, look, Martel's the guy for this job. I literally got hired in four days and never submitted a resume. That process versus the process that I was going through when I was in college, like trying to find jobs where I was submitting resumes left and right. I was getting automated answers like, hey, sorry, unfortunately, we passed you for another candidate or like never getting a call back. That completely got removed to just a referral. So the power of referrals is something that's already been around. It just hasn't been gamified or official on a platform and at scale to the point that we want to do. So you're going to help people monetize their networks. Absolutely. Thanks. Good. That makes sense. I'm sure people will be very thankful for that if they get paid to, you know, recommend that their friends get jobs that they're looking for. In your personal and professional network, as it relates to SoCo, who's providing that value to you that, you know, most people may not expect? And let's just take a step back here. You know, there's debate back and forth on whether or not investor value add is real, to what extent, you know, investors are adding value to founders, advisors, you know, et cetera. Like who is really helping the company? Who's adding the value to the company in what ways and all of that? How do you address that? Where is that unexpected value coming from? Because a lot of founders, they're starting and they just, you may be in a position where every help looks like it could help. And then you, you kind of stunned a little bit. But for you, just walk us through, clean all of that up for us. I was in the same vein, right? Like I had the same thought process for a while. It's, it's, it's always, especially being a black founder, you just unfortunately have that mentality, us versus them, right? Like you always think that. You always think people are not trying to help you. People are trying to, you know, hurt you or you know somebody's really they don't have your best interest but the reality of the matter is it depends on who you talk to and it depends on what value you can provide as well like the hardest thing in the world is figuring out what value can you provide to somebody so that they can give you value back right like no there's no free lunch like I've learned this the hard way like you know you, you put your hand out for handouts and you, you probably won't get anything and you'll be bitter about it and I was like that Right. So like I know how that feels. I was networking unconsciously. Luckily, through the school that I went to, I was able to learn this at a younger age. But anybody can learn this at any point in time. You have to learn how to network with people to the point where it doesn't look like you're trying to get something from them. You're trying to give them something. The minute I started you know, helping people with different projects they were having on the side or giving them advice on certain things. Like I'd have conversations with people who were investors and literally treat them like, like anybody else. Right. Like I wasn't looking at them like, Oh my God, he's an investor. Like I need to pitch to him. I didn't pitch anything. Right. I just came in, figured out what they were doing, you know, talked a little bit about, Hey, like, have you ever looked into doing it this way? Have you looked into doing it this way? And they start gravitating towards you and they start asking hey, what are you doing? You start explaining it. And I learned this from a mentor of mine. He's actually out here in Utah. He's a black guy, right? Um, Well-connected out here. He was like, look, it's like dating. You don't want to give everything up right away. You want to like slowly like tease what you're doing, have some air of mystery. People just gravitate towards you. Nobody gravitates towards someone who's like needy all the time, right? Like you go towards people who don't need you. That's good advice. And that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of your life, 
you know, as you move your hands around and they're talking, I'm not seeing any signs of attachment, you know, with you, but maybe you can answer this question in your own way. When it comes to you, your professional life and your personal life, you got a decision to make. Are you going to combine those two together? Are you going to keep them separate? Or I guess some version in between for you, how do you approach that? Like, how do you look at that? Is there such a thing as balance in your life? Absolutely. If there wasn't, I don't think you'd be able to make it. And I think a lot of founders, they burn out fast because they follow hustle culture. I hate hustle culture. I'll talk to a lot of founders. They're like, I just worked 80 hours a week. You know, I just did like a 90 hour week. And I'm like, did you actually work 80 whole hours? Like, tell me, what did you get done? And they're like, no, nah, I didn't actually do like a full 80 hours. Like, you know, I probably worked seriously for like a few hours. And I'm like, so how many hours did you actually like work, right? So I've always had this conversation. Everybody's always trying to like say, ah, I worked a hundred hours. Like I didn't get any sleep. It's like, that's not cool, bro. <laughs> like you definitely should probably optimize your life. Like for me, like I'm in a relationship. I have a girlfriend, you know, I, I try to balance that too, right? Try to be present for that. I have a social life. I have friends. Like business is not my entire life and it shouldn't be anybody's entire identity. I think- you should have hobbies because that's going to help you. This is time. The person who lasts the longest wins. And a lot of people burn out because they like, they sprint in a marathon that is the startup world. And then they get to like halfway and they may think that they're ahead of everybody. And then they just burn out. They're like, I'm so tired. And then they just stop. And then the person who was jogging that turtle that you saw, they lived their life in balance and they ended up lapping that person. They just keep going because they just have the energy to continue to keep going. So yeah, balance is huge, man. I don't believe in hustle culture at all. That's a great perspective. And it's easy to kind of run away with thinking that movement is progress. So good. Thank you for clearing up the attachment as well. So if you were designing your own co-founder, what are you going to make sure that they have in it? And this is a question, I mean, it's relevant because co-founders are important, right? Not because they're going to, the panacea to get you to the promised land, but it's helpful to have somebody who's watching out for your blind spots. And hopefully that's what they're doing. So for you, what specifically would you sprinkle into your recipe of co-founder if you were going to build the perfect co-founder? They would definitely have to have a lot of technical aptitude because that's something that I can understand tech, but that's not my strong suit. So I need somebody who's really good at that because, I mean, and I'm really big on like lean methodology, right? Like I'm not going to hire a whole engineering team. I might outsource it at first, right? So I don't know how to properly communicate with an outsourced team in terms of like how to actually facilitate building the tech, making sure that they're not screwing me for the amount of hours that they're doing. Like I need somebody who understands that process, that relationship, um, and also has a, a, a solid business acumen, right? They can actually understand the business side too. Um, but they lean more towards that end of tech and like, they don't have to be like extreme coders, right? But they have to understand it at a high level and at some sort of a granular level. And they also design, right? Like I also need somebody who's creative on that end because that's also something that I'm not too great at you clearly know where there's opportunities for you to get stronger. And that's one way to look at your team too. Like it's not just to build the best product, even though that is what you're doing. You're trying to add the most value as possible. At the same time, you're also trying to build the best person <laughs> in the leadership team as possible. We get caught up in, you know, 
how much money people are raising, you know, close this, closing that. And it's easy to forget the value of a million dollars, you know, sometimes. So if you were to have, you know, let's say no strings attached, somebody, you know, slipped you a check for $1 million or wired it into your bank account or gave you the equivalent in your crypto of choice or however you want to receive this million dollars in USD, what are you going to do with that funding right now? Like in terms of deploying that capital for your business, for SoCo, where's that money going? Money is facilitated for growth, right? Like you don't you you don't use as much of that money until you realize that with the direction you're going makes sense. You see some sort of progress, you see buying signals. And then you start really deploying a lot of that capital and like in the growth phase of everything. So I, I would say like a small portion of that would go towards making sure development's going. Again, making sure that I'm not feature hungry and it's like, all right, we've built a certain amount of features. Can we start distributing this? So there'd be some marketing efforts as well. Once we actually get what they call product market fit, that's when a majority of that capital will be deployed in hiring people, hiring the right people, hiring a diverse group of people, and then scaling it across however we see fit. Um, yeah, so I would use a lot of that money for like scaling a proven concept. I would imagine up to this point, like you've had a lot of people pouring into you, right? Like your answers are, are pretty polished. You've had some some good mentors and, and sponsors even. Straightforwardly, what's the most profitable piece of advice that you've received since you first started building, you know, SoCo in MVP form? Like what is that thing that you've learned along the way that stays with you, that guides you and is actually making your business more profitable? Don't focus on the money early, focus on how much value you can generate to a specific audience or a specific person. I think a lot of the times people are so caught up in fundraising so early, but fundraising literally, and I used to be like that, I'm like, I gotta go email a bunch of different VCs and investors. One, never reach out to a VC until you're in growth phase. They just don't care. They'll probably just push you off for a while. I learned that the hard way. Being able to like create something for as little amount of money as possible and providing the most value with what you've created to a specific target persona of a person, like that's what you should be focusing on to start. Like it's not about raising you can you might see people raise, and that's the thing with me, right? Like I, I'm sitting here, I I, I go on TechCrunch and you see like X founder just raised $10 million, and you're like, man, I wish I could raise $10 million right now. But I got a word of advice. Money doesn't mean anything unless you have a direction for it. So I think the biggest thing that I learned was like, focus on getting the direction, focus on making sure that the foundations are built and then worry about getting more money. That'll all come in as a result of that. So that's a big thing that I learned. That's a pretty good wisdom. That's a pretty good wisdom because it's not just the dollar amount, it's the plan behind it. It just represents something in the future. Absolutely. You got that's what it means to know your numbers, I suppose. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, we've been, you know, kind of getting pretty serious on your product and your growth and your success that is fast approaching. Um, but we know it's not all fun and games, right? So what's the most fun that you've had in SoCo so far? Like, is your team fun to be on? If I'm listening to this right now and I kind of like your space, like, what am I going to learn about your culture that has to do with sort of keeping it fun, lighthearted, et cetera? Oh yeah. I honestly, the, the most fun I've had personally is just with the team. Like we just built like a, like an amazing team culture. Like we, we'll get on calls, we'll joke around, we'll always be serious. We have like obviously objectives for each call, but like there will always crack jokes and like, it's very lighthearted. 
you know, everyone, you know, we take this very seriously, of course, but we also understand that like life is humorous too. Like you gotta laugh sometimes. So, you know, we try to keep all that stuff in perspective as we're building this up. Like I'm literally, I get excited on every call that we get on, right? Like every single one. And we talk frequently on Slack. So that has been the most fun is like just seeing the team grow together, go through certain obstacles, right? Like, you know, we might be really tight on money at one point and like have to bootstrap and figure out, all right, how do, how can we cut costs? Like everything like that is good when you have a solid team. That does sound like a fun place to work. So I'll be honest, like as we've been going through these questions, your Brooklyn is coming out. You got a certain flow to the whole, you know, your cadence and everything is very melodic. Yeah. Next question is on point. Don't feel like you have to answer it with the musical or lyrical response, but the Absolutely. question is this, Martel, which artists most inspires the work that you do? I mean, founders and artists, creatives in their own right, you know, they're tapping into different sources of inspiration. For you, which one would it be? Nipsey Hussle. Say more about this because, you know, Nipsey has a unique profile, okay, in terms of music, in terms of, you know, involvement in the community and areas he's in. Since 2013, I was listening to Nipsey. I was watching all the videos from where he started from, like, nothing. Like, they were interviewing him. He was, like, scrawny little, like, no beard, right? Like, just talking and, like, just the way he was talking, you could tell he was elevated. Like, he was beyond the rap stuff. Just hearing him talk about like everything as a marathon and, and not like a sprint was the biggest thing. Cause I, I get impatient a lot. And I think a lot of people do and you want results fast, but like, if you've been following his journey, it's not even just his music. His music is very inspiring too. But when it comes to like his actual life, you could learn a lot from him. Like you could learn how he went from on the streets, gangbang, all that stuff. And then like, just transitioned, got serious about music, took the business side of it, right? And just grew as a person. All of that stuff to me is very inspiring, seeing somebody like him succeed. And also he's, he's a reader, right? Like he was a very intellectual person. He gave a list of books for people to read that he read. I relate to him just because I'm not street. I'm not from the, like, I'm, I may be from there, but like, you wouldn't know unless I told you. So like, that's a big thing that I, I definitely like how he just mixes everything together. And he's like this complete person. Very solid. And that is an honorable eulogy right there. Very inspiring and, and point well taken that things take time and patience is key in what we do. So now let's go back to the market that you're playing in, the sandbox, so to speak. And maybe you could just point to the evidence that you've seen that talent matching in this way actually works. Like when you're making this pitch to people and they say, yeah, this is a good idea, but how, what do you say to show, yeah, it's cool, but it also works? I'll talk to hyper-connected people and I'll be like, look, when was the last time you referred somebody that you knew into a job and you didn't get paid for it? They're like, so many times, like I just do it out of goodwill. Like I don't, I didn't really think that I would get paid for it. And I'm like, that's exactly what this does. Like it's a way to monetize. And then you tie in the Uber comparison too. You're like, look at Uber. Look at what Uber did to people who just have cars. Like, look at what Airbnb did to people who have home. We're doing the same thing to people who have networks like you. It's valuable. You built this network on LinkedIn, monetize it. You don't need to sell a product. Just literally facilitate talent. That's a thing. Explosive opportunity for sure. But th that's on a micro level. What I mean by micro is that's you and your company and you are in a larger startup ecosystem. Absolutely. So, so talk to us about what you're most excited about in your own local 
startup community? That's a great question because I was actually thinking about this last night. I was at a dinner with a bunch of startup founders and investors and they were so, so for everyone who doesn't know, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and it's like a burgeoning, growing population of startups. Dwayne Wade came out here, gave a speech to Silicon Slopes. Like it's, it's growing like crazy. And the biggest thing I'm excited for is this is honestly going to be something that changes Utah's talent economy as a whole. There are so many people, there's a strong Mormon culture here. So everyone's really well connected with each other. There's like a family type of thing. And so they already follow these behaviors. You have startups that are now coming here and they're looking for talent and they're trying to figure out the best way to do it. And there hasn't been this one platform that has facilitated that here. And another big thing, this is a really good place for marketplaces. There are tons of marketplaces that are starting to come around here at different lanes, especially with real estate, right? Like they're trying to get more homes filled. Now they just need to get more positions filled at startups so that we can grow the economy of Utah a lot more. So locally, that's what I'm excited about. Globally, being able to transcend boundaries. Like Soko's Swahili for marketplace. Like we want to take this to Africa, have African people actually get hired at, you know, U.S. jobs, get paid a lot more and like just break the global boundaries of work. Huge dreams, huge ambitions going out of Utah. And let's say, for example, that you had an opportunity to go to another startup community other than Silicon Valley. We know that is the hub, the center of the world, so to speak, uh, and what we do. But if you were going to go to another locale, you had to leave where you are right now. Where are you headed? What is on your ticket? Man, that's a tough one. Atlanta. Atlanta. What's in Atlanta? What's so special about the ATL other than hitting a billion dollars in BC? (laughs) I think the biggest thing is there's so much diverse talent down there. Um, There's a lot. There are a lot of companies going there too. That's a whole different scene than Utah, right? It's completely different. And it would be well received down there, I think. Everybody hustles in ATL, right? Like they want to make money. Everybody's looking to get into tech now. Tech companies are moving out there. So it literally would be crazy to be in Atlanta and like grow as fast as we could. Got it. Something to think about. I mean, the world is your oyster as you really start to grow. I mean, if you're listening to this now, you're probably listening to it later than the progress that you've made because you're moving pretty fast. Uh, So you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, Martel, about the pivot that you made. It doesn't have to be this pivot, but we are curious to know in your own opinion, what is a pivot that you think saved your career where you came to a place, you know, let's call it a fork in the road. You could have gone left. You could have gone right. Nobody was helpful in helping you make that decision. You had to make it by your lonesome and you made it and it worked out for you. What was that experience for you? I would say, and this is, this is actually easy to answer. The number one thing was stopping basketball for just going straight into school. Like, being in college and like the opportunity to be a part of a starting rotation, actually having weight in terms of like being a really good solid player on a team as a freshman and dropping that opportunity to focus on education, trying to understand where I could fit in the professional world. That helped me so much because, I mean, I got a lot of friends who are still chasing their basketball dreams. They still haven't gotten to where they need to get now. And it's like a fleeting dream and they just hold on to it for so, so long. And I made the best decision of my entire life just saying, look, this is just not the path for me. I need to go figure out what I can do professionally. That's what I got into finance and the tech. And that stuff happened because I left the primary thing of my life, which was basketball. 
it's huge because all too often it's the other story, you know, yeah. the, the missed opportunity in time. So kudos to you for recognizing, at least in your situation, your life purpose was different than the hardwood. You've had help. That's clear from this conversation, right? Which communities have been most helpful for actually growing your brand? Like when it comes to getting your visibility up, your name out there, you know, growing your brand and your profile, the design element, the attractiveness, who's been the most helpful for that? Before this pivot, it was 1000% the black community, like 100, like Twitter, Instagram. I got the most support for that previous concept and it was great. And that actually like gave me the belief, like, all right, I can actually build something because there's a lot of people who are like behind it and they're supporting it. With the pivot, and I didn't even expect this, you like the Utah startup ecosystem, like they're all so helpful in terms of like, they just want to see this thing like blow up. Like I remember they were talking, they're like, we don't have any successful black founders that have come out of here yet. We want to at least make you one of them. They're literally like in that headspace and like they're always like, all right, I literally got an intro email like, hey, I want to use the platform for my company. Hey, like they're just they're really supportive when it comes to that. I didn't expect that, to be honest, moving here. I didn't know. I think the perception of Utah is very skewed for people on the outside. Uh, but actually being here, I've gotten the most support that I really ever have. You better tell your story and put on for Utah out here. Gotta tell it. Hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And, you know, help comes from unexpected areas and ways. But let's let's double down on this, because you say you got people who want you to succeed. They want you to win. Success means different things to different people. I think a billion dollars is definitely going to be noticeable if you hit it. The question is, do you want to? So more succinctly, do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? And, you know, feel free to get into the philosophical underpinnings of your response, because this is going to tell us a lot about kind of your leadership style, how you think about the world and what we can glean from your approach to money, companies, value, et cetera. Everybody says, I want to run a billion dollar company. I want to hit that B number. And I think ego part of me is like, yes, billion dollars. I want this company to be worth a billion dollars. And I think that would actually be really good. I just want to inspire people who look like me, who are younger than me to do something like this and actually see somebody who they see succeed, right? Like you got Robert Smith, who's like, top dog he's an older guy right like it's he's black so you can look up to him but how many 26 27 year olds 28 year olds do you know get to a billion dollar valuation in tech that's black that still maintains some sort of an urban essence to them? like you don't see that right like you don't see it so to answer your question yes i would like to if i don't hit that point do i feel like i'm a failure no I think even just doing something like this, starting something like this, and even getting to a point where I even get any valuation number is very important to me because it literally will inspire other people. They're like, well, if he could raise X amount of money, if he could build something like this, I can. So even if I don't hit the billion dollar mark, I think there's still a lot of impact. I just need more people who look like me doing this. I want this to be cool. I talked to my friend Ruben, he runs Career Karma. And we always talk about, we're like, how do we make tech cool? for people like how do we make it cool to be a startup founder just like athletics like it's cool to be an athlete you see athletes on private jets and like wearing the best outfits like can we do the same thing with tech startups you answered yes and so much so much more okay and you've been handling yourself well you popped into the studio here we put you on the hot seat take you through these lightning 
fast questions and you've been giving us some good responses. We're going to flip the script now and allow you to ask a question, but not of me. I'm going to tee this background up for folks if this is your first time hearing it. So Diverse Tech Founders kind of began the genesis uh, originated from throwing app launch parties in our apartment in Harlem or other kind of venues uh, in Harlem. We even threw one in Memphis. And at those events is really just to celebrate founders like yourself, Martel, who have reached a point that's worth celebrating, invite more people, introduce them to what you're doing and get some feedback on the product because 100% of the people are going to download and use your product and be able to interact with it and interface with it, which is huge. If you get even 30 to 50 people doing that, that's yeah. all good energy for you. And you give a speech four minutes or so where you just talk about you and yourself, but then there's a Q&A session. And in that Q&A session, we have aspiring angel investors, angels, VCs, other founders, people who just showed up as a plus one, but now they're super into it. You know, people who, you know, now they have a little bit of liquid courage. They want to get right to the point. How do you make money? But my question for you is, what would you ask if you were in that room and another founder was on stage, you know, so to speak? The last question is yours. What are you asking? What does the ideal startup ecosystem look like to you? That's a good question to ask. I'd be curious to know how they respond. So this is the last question. Well, the penultimate question. We have one bonus question that we're going to ask you, but we know you've talked about it so far, but just reiterate for us again, what is the most valuable thing that SoCo does for its customers? For the talent, I mean, it gets them into the door a lot faster and makes the process a lot smoother than if they were to go through traditional hiring processes, right? It gets you straight to it, brings you more opportunities and you feel more confident because of that bias-free system that we have. Um, for bounty hunters, literally gives you another income stream that you never really thought that you could have passively. We make it easy to do it. There's no long application process where you have to go in, we have to validate that you're a recruiter, like none of that stuff. Anybody can do it. doesn't matter your background. If you know the right people, you're going to get paid a lot of money to do this type of stuff. For companies, their hair is on fire because they've raised all this money and they have to hire and they scramble left and right. And it's like, this literally makes it easier to fill those roles with the right people faster and at a cheaper price. And, you know, it benefits everybody. When is this going live, right? Like you're building, yeah. this, you got people coming on board, like people are listening to this, like, hey, I have this problem. Where do I solve it? When do I solve it? Do you have any premonition on when we might expect to see SoCo in our pocket? Yeah, definitely month of December. First week, second week, we're still deciding. I'm leaning towards December 9th as the launch date. Obviously, we're starting in Utah, but I mean, expansion will be fast. I think it'll be really easy to just kind of grow quickly and move into different areas. We're taking anybody who's looking to hire talent. I mean, anybody with a network can be able to do this. Obviously, with COVID, remote work has been a big thing. So first week of December, definitely, we will be in the App Store for anybody who is looking to download us and, and start making some money on the side, getting your friends paid. So yeah. Yes. Love the confidence. Well, we've reached the end of our slate of standard questions here to get to know you better. I think we accomplished that mission, but we want to keep the conversation going. And for those who are listening to this right now and they're like, hey, you know, SoCo's pretty cool. That whole I can make money based on my network thing. Sign me up for that. Or maybe you just like Martel, want to pick your brain because you had a lot of people who gave you time. Maybe you would be willing to speak to some Absolutely. people listening to this now too. Where can they find you? I mean, you're a busy guy. You probably got hundreds of apps on your phones. Which one are you going to open and, and give us the best chance of getting a response out of it? Twitter. 
at Martel Metellus, my full first and last name. I'll probably respond instantly on Twitter. I'm literally always on Twitter. I used to be big on Instagram, not really as much anymore, but Twitter, absolutely. So that conversation is ongoing. Just join it because Martel's going to be talking. Just join the conversation and reach out. And let them know if you've had any experiences with SoCo or talent search in general, because this is something that is going to be huge moving forward. So thank you for coming in, Diverse Tech Founders. You know, we appreciate you for coming in like this and giving us some pretty practical products that we'll probably want to hit you up for. But do you have anything else? We'll let you have the last word before we part ways. No, I I appreciate you guys for having me. This is definitely fun to even answer questions I've never thought about, which was good. Put me in the in the hot seat, test me a lot. Appreciate everybody. Anybody who wants to reach out, I mean, I'm I'm still learning, so I can't say I'm an expert in anything. Uh, so, but I'll give you whatever practical life advice I possibly can. Well, you heard it there. Please take them up on this, but I'm sure you'll be seeing Martel and Soko in a market near you. With that, we will bid you adieu. Best of luck, and we'll see you on the other side of that lunch, December 9th. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again. In my entire life? In your entire in your time, I mean, you know, we aren't terribly old. I mean, what, what do you mean you're t- like, what, like, what, like, you mean? Like, this, uh, this doesn't even have to be like a business, like a startup, like pivot. It could be life pivot. We are listening to the compilation of your past.